You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Brothers and sisters, this afternoon I proclaim to you the Word of God and what it teaches us about the Holy Catholic Christian Church. In connection with that, we read from the letter of Paul to Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3 to 14, and chapter 2, verse 11 through to 22. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ." In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And then we continue in chapter 2, verse 11 through to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision that's done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. But through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirits. Brothers and sisters, this afternoon I proclaim to you the word of God as it is summarized in question answer 54 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's in Lord's Day 21. Let us now read this question and answer together. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. Brothers and sisters, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Lord's Day 21, the Catechism speaks about the church. And when you speak about the church, then soon you can hear all kinds of different opinions. For one, the church is very important. Without the church, you cannot be saved. Another says that the church, well, that is not so important. Of course, you should belong to a church, but your salvation does not depend on the church, they say. And often you can hear the statement that God does not ask at the gates of heaven to which church you belonged, but whether you believed in Jesus Christ as your only Savior. There are so many churches nowadays, and if you would drive around here in Langley for half an hour, then I think you wouldn't be able to count all the churches you see on the fingers of both hands anymore. And this afternoon, it is not my intention to explain the differences between all those churches or to explain what is especially Canadian Reformed. But this afternoon, I will proclaim to you the word of God and what it says about the church. And the Bible teaches us that for Christ, the church is very important. Christ gathers his church. And Christ does not have millions or billions of different relationships with all kinds of different Christians, but he gathers for himself a church. The church is also called his bride or his body. One body, one bride. That means that Christ has a relationship with each and every one of us as members of his body, as members of his church. And that is how Christ wanted it, it to be. We, lo- we belong to the church because Christ commands us. We come together as congregation, as church of Christ, because God calls us together to worship him and to meet him. And we believe that we here as true Christians gathered together in the church of Christ that we all belong to the one holy Catholic Christian church, which is the body of Christ. We even say in our Apostles' Creed that we believe a holy Catholic church. It is part of our faith, so it is important. 
And let us listen then this afternoon to what the Word of God teaches us about the church. And I proclaim to you the Word of God, summarized under this theme, Christ gathers the holy Catholic Christian church, in the first place, for himself. Second, out of the whole human race. Third, by his word and spirit. And fourth, as a church chosen to everlasting life. Christ gathers the holy Catholic Christian church, in the first place, for himself. And when we speak about the church, then we must realize that the church is first and above all the church of Christ. We often speak about our church, and that is not wrong per se, but as as long as we mean to say that it is a church to which we belong. However, we should never forget that the church does not belong to us, but to Christ. It is the church of Christ. And that must be decisive for the way in which we speak about the church. It is not just a gathering of people who come together every Sunday, who do some things together on Sunday and also during the week. It is not one of the so many societies which we have in our country, but it is the church of Christ, or even the bride of Christ. And the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ, for instance, in Revelation 19, verse 7, where we read that the marriage of the Lamb has come, as John writes in, uh, here in, in Revelation, the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And there are many other places in the Bible where the Bible speaks about the church as the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, for instance, very well known. And when we come to church every Sunday, then it is not to get our weekly portion of salvation in church. It is not to get something out of it, whatever that might be, or to do our part of good works for the week, so that God must be pleased with us. No, when we go to church, then it is because we want to meet Christ, because we love Him, Him who first loved us, and showed his endless love for us, the love of Christ for his bride. And we together, as congregation, as as his bride, we show our love towards him. In a relation of love between bridegroom and bride, between husband and wife, then you don't ask What do I get out of it? What do I gain by it? But you love each other. And when you really love each other, then you are willing to do much, so much for the other. Because you want to be together. You want to express your love to the other. And that is why we go to church, brothers and sisters. We love Christ and we want that, we we, we want to show Him our love. And we want to hear him speak to us and to show him our love in what we do during the worship service. And if that is the case, well, then we look forward to it. That is how we come to church. And we don't let him wait for us. We are there on time and well prepared. 
so that we don't have to miss one moment of the time which we can spend with him. Listening to him and speaking to him, our beloved bridegroom. And that's also important if it comes to the communion of saints. Saints, we are saints in Christ through the forgiveness of sins. Christ sanctified us because he wants to have communion with us. Communion of saints is not in the first place that we all have communion together and and help each other, but in the first place that we all together have communion with Christ. And I won't say much more this afternoon about the communion of saints. There's so much to say about it, but it is in in the next question and answer. And this afternoon I focus on the first question and answer. When we realize that the church is Christ's church and that he gathers defense and preserves his church, then we can also trust in him. The church is his. That means that we don't have to worry about the church. He will build, protect, defend his church. He who gave the best he could give, his own life for his beloved church, he will not allow his church to be destroyed by his enemies. He will certainly care for her. And that is a certainty which we may have. We can all be very busy with work in the church. We can work very hard for the church. But at the end, we must all leave it to him. At the end, he is the one who builds the church. We don't have to do that. In a church, we don't fight for our own positions. We don't fight for our own opinions. The church is not our own hobby. We let Christ govern us through his word and spirit. And when we are faithful to him and obey his commandments, then that must be enough. And that is also important to remember in in difficult times for the church. God told Elijah when he thought that he was the only one left in Israel under Ahab, the only one who was faithful to God, God told him that there were 7,000 more in Israel who did not bend their knee for Baal. And sometimes we may think that we are all alone as Christians and by ourselves. A small group here in in a country in which so many walk away from Christ. But we must remember that it does not depend on us. But Christ is gathering his church. In Ephesians 1, we read that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It is not our decision. It is not our work that determines how the church of God is going to be built. But it is God, it is His plan. God who in Christ and through His Word and Spirit gathers His church. And that teaches us to be humble. And in the first place to listen. Listen to God and submit to Him. And then give up our own ideas and plans of how the church should be run and how others should be one for Christ and listen to him, to what he teaches us. And then his word must be preached 
in church. And only his word. That's the only truth. And then don't listen to all the so-called human wisdom, but only accept and believe and act according to the divine wisdom which is proclaimed in his word. Be his servants, Christ's servants, faithful to him. And if we are faithful, then we will receive his blessing. It is in itself already a huge blessing that God decides to use us in his work to gather his church. Think about that. It is a privilege that God is using us to build his church. Be thankful for that. Christ builds his church. And he will do it in the way he deems fit. That is not always the way we would choose. But then we must know that the church is being gathered already from the beginning of the world. Already for many thousands of years. And not only here in Langley, not only here in Canada, but all over the world. Out of the whole human race. That's what you see in the second place. Christ gathers his church out of the whole human race. God created Adam and Eve as the beginning of mankind. And already before the fall, he told them to be fruitful, to get children. It was part of their task. Because God wanted to have a people. And it is still their task, the task of mankind after the fall. The Son of God is gathering for himself a people chosen to everlasting life. And that's again after the fall, what God says in Genesis 3 verse 15, when he tells Satan that he will put enmity between Satan and the woman, between the offspring of Satan and the seed of the woman. God did not want his people to be in the power of Satan, but he wanted to have his people for himself. And that is why he put enmity between Satan and the woman. They became enemies there. Well, before Adam and Eve chose the side of Satan, they were allies. But God made them enemies again. Because Adam and Eve, from that moment on, they belonged to God again. And it was possible through Christ. And that is where Christ started gathering his church. From the beginning of the world, with Adam and Eve as the first members of the church. And then we read that after Abel and Cain, Seth was born, and when Seth grew up, he was he also got a son, Enosh. And at that time, we read in the Bible, in Genesis 4, verse 26, men began to call on the, on the name of the Lord. We can say at that time, they started to have regular worship services. And those worship services would probably have been a bit different from how we have our worship services. But what is important that is that they came together then as a family to worship God and to pray to Him. And from that moment on, during the whole history of the world, every week again, God's people worshipped Him. Again, not always in the same way as we do it now, here on this day and every Sunday. But what is important is that God had a people And God has the people which comes together to worship Him. 
from the beginning of the world until its end. Is there any so-called religion, any organization, any society that can say the same, that they exist and have been meeting together already from the beginning of the world? Remember, brothers and sisters, that you are part of something very special, the Church of Christ, which does not have its equal here on earth. The church which is the bride of Christ. Be proud and thankful that God chose you to belong to his people and to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ. And when Christ was raised from the dead and before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to preach the word, the gospel of salvation, everywhere on this earth, to make all nations to his disciples, And there he tells them, and I am with you always to the end of the age. And now we belong to this people of God. And Christians all over the earth belong to the same people of God. We belong to God's people together with the Jews who believe in Christ. And together with the faithful Israelites in the time of the Old Testament. We are all one people all over the earth. The church of all ages. Some Christians believe that the people of Israel, as descendants of Abraham after the flesh, still have a special position in God's plan. And indeed, they do have a special position, but that is only based on the past, because out of them the Messiah came, Jesus Christ. He was one of them after the flesh. But if it comes to the church of Christ, then they and we are the same people of God. We are one. Just as we read together from Ephesians 2, verse 11, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision that done in the body in the hands of man, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And in the following verse, Paul explains that Christ has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, and the purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two that's making peace. One New, not two peoples, Israel and believers from the Gentiles, but one new man. And in verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's households. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The Apostle Paul also explained it very clearly in Romans 9 through to 11. And I encourage you to read that for yourself when you're at home. That teaches us our position in the Church of Christ, our relationship with the Jews, the believers from the Jews. We all belong to the one people of Christ, the one Church built on the one foundation, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
In the third place, we see Christ gathered his church by his spirit and word. Indeed, Christ is the one foundation of the church, the foundation of apostles and prophets. That means the words that they spoke, and the words that they spoke as if, in fact, Christ. Because they are not their own words, but the word of God. The prophets and the apostles, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As Peter himself says in Second Peter 1. The church is not built and will not be built according to human plans and standards. No, the building plan of the church is in the Bible. And Christ builds the church according to his plan. And that means that we all who work in the church have to be faithful to God's word. That is important. The word teaches us how we have to work to build Christ's church. And the office bearers and all those who have a special task in the church, they must not go to so many courses and conferences to be able to do their work. No, first and above all, they have to start studying the Bible. As it is said in the form for the ordination of office bearers. The office bearers should train themselves in godliness and diligently search the scriptures which are profitable in every respect. And also the task of the minister is not to be a kind of manager of the congregation or a kind of social worker who's trying to keep everyone happy. No, but he studied at the Theological College to learn how to study and how to explain the Bible and how to lead the congregation in listening to God's word and worshiping God. That is his task. And that is what he must do on a pulpit on Sundays and during the week in catechism classes and in many other ways. Teach the Bible to God's people because the Bible is the handbook for the church and for each and every member of the church. The word of God, that brings salvation. And that is what must be preached in the church. The word of salvation, that is to, that is to be found here in church. And if that is not central anymore in the church, and the church has forsaken its task to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and then the church is not a true church anymore. The church is a place where God's people will find its salvation. The word of salvation through which the Spirit works. And that is what you come for, brothers and sisters. Not for all kinds of entertainment. And the church should not try to compete with the world, to draw all kinds of interested people. The church has something to offer that cannot be found anywhere else in the world that is the salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is what the Belgian Confession means in Article 28 when it says that there is no salvation outside of it. Don't try to find your salvation anywhere else or in anything else than through the true preaching of the Word of God. The true preaching that is being done here in church. That is how the Holy Spirit works faith. And salvation through faith. And that is how Christ gathers His church. The church of Christ is being built. And the Word of God is being preached faithfully every Sunday. And when the youth of the church is being taught the Christian doctrine, that is the word of God, and all those who want to become a member of the church, 
And that is when the elders govern this congregation according to the Bible as the rule for your life. And God's plan with his church, that is an eternal plan. A plan that never changes. His word will never change. The word, the promises spoken to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob will never change. The promises to Israel that he will be their God and they will be his people. They are still the same promises. That God will be our God and we will be his people. Yes, we do live in a different time now compared to the Old Testament. And we are farther on the way of the fulfillment of these promises. And that means that we will do some things differently. But the word of God spoken to his people in the Old Testament is still the same word of God. The promises of forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. The promise that God will be our God and we will be his people still stands. From everlasting to everlasting, God is God. And he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world, as we read in Ephesians 1 verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It is by God's word through God's grace, that Christ gathers his church. And it is through his Holy Spirit that he brings people to faith so that they believe and obey his word. And they become a member of his church, a part of his people. And God, who spoke his word 2,000 years ago, and 3,000 years ago to David, 4,000 years ago before Abraham, he is still the same God. He chose his church before the creation of the world. And he knew what was going to happen in the days of Abraham and in the days of David. But he also knew when he chose his church before the creation of the world, he also knew what was going to happen in our days in 2011. Because he decided then that this is what should happen. And it all happens in accordance with his plan. And he who spoke his word in that time, time of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the time of David, he was also the one who decided that his word would be for the church of all ages. Not just for that time, but forever. And he who decided that his word would also be for us, he knew in what time we would live. But he did not deem it necessary to make different provisions for this time. So God's word is for us still sufficient. And then it is arrogant to think that we live in such a different time now, so different from 2,000 years ago, and that for that reason God's word does not apply to us anymore. Or at least not as it did in the days that, for instance, the Apostle Paul wrote his letters. 
That would mean that we think that we know it better than God himself does. Then we start challenging his wisdom. Christ gathers his church through his word and spirit. And he does it from the beginning of the world until its end. And since the Bible doesn't tell us that we live in a time to which God's word does not apply, we also will listen to God's word as it comes to us in the Bible. And we will act accordingly. And then we know that we will be one with the whole church of Christ. We are all standing on the same foundation, the word of God. And we are all governed by the same spirit, the spirit of Christ. And that is a guarantee for the unity in the church. Everyone who accepts the word of God and is governed by the spirit of Christ, whether he or she lives in Canada or in China or in the Netherlands or in Brazil or in Indonesia or wherever, we are one with them in the same faith, one in Christ. And then we don't need a worldwide organization, a worldwide network of relations and regulations to be able to build a church. No, we are directed directly by Christ through his spirit. And that guarantees a unity in a true faith, even between those who don't know each other and don't know about each other. Christ's word and his spirit give structure to the church so that the church remains faithful to him. And then we can find at the other end of the world, brothers and sisters, whom we never met before and with whom we never had contact before, and then we can indeed recognize them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then we are all one in true faith. That is how the spirit works. That is how Christ gathers his church. The church out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world until its end. A unity through Christ's spirit and word. And in the fourth place, we see that Christ gathers his church as a church chosen to everlasting life. Christ gathers one church. And we, by true faith, are members of it, living members. I am and forever shall remain, the Catechism says. And it means that when we die, then we will still be members of Christ's church forever. The bride of Christ, that is his church, to her belongs a multitude of people, a multitude that no one can count. In Revelation 7, it is described so beautifully to John. First, the 144,000 who are sealed out of all the tribes of Israel. And... We all now belong to the people of God. We all belong to Israel by faith. So these 144,000, they are from the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is a symbolic number. That is the number that John heard. 12 times 12,000. 12,000 from every tribe. 12 as the complete fullness of the people of God. And that times 12,000. Remember that in those days... The ten tribes were gone. They didn't exist anymore. Well, this is the promise that God's people will be complete again, not just the Jews, but all the twelve tribes, a complete fullness. And from every tribe, twelve thousand, again, a number of fullness. That is what John heard being told him. He heard the number, and at 44,000 sealed. And then right away thereafter, John saw this people before his eyes. And then he had to, to, to write, he had to say that this is a great multitude that no one can count. 
And they all will stand before the throne of God and before the Lamb. Those who passed away, they all wait in heaven now until the last one is gathered and added to the church of Christ. And then all together we will meet Christ in the air. As Paul describes it in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. 16 through to 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And brothers and sisters, that is indeed the encouragement which I may proclaim to you this afternoon, the word of God. We are all waiting for Christ to return. And in the meantime, we may know that those who have fallen asleep, that they are still one with us. They wait in heaven, we here on earth, for the return of Christ. We still have work to do. They may rest from their works, but we all belong to the one church of Christ, his people. And we will all be together when Christ returns, and then we will meet him in the air. And it is not just a small group here on this earth, a small minority among the billions of this world. No, it is a huge multitude, a multitude that no one can count. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.